All right, welcome in. It's episode 46. How you doing? I don't think I should ever complain again. I really don't think I have anything to complain about. Especially not the weather. And I know weather sounds like tepid small talk, but do you have any clue what it's like in the Midwest right now? Do you know? Or maybe you're listening to this in the Midwest and you're wearing a jacket indoors, under a blanket, laying on a heating pad. And that is because it's about, oh, I don't know, negative 41 degrees. Kids can't even go to school right now in Minnesota. I've got my Minnesota family reporting that no one's going to school this week. Why? Too cold. I even read an article that said they're asking people not to breathe in deeply when they're outside. It's too dangerous. This is not a joke. They've had four deaths. Talking about people just freezing to death. You go outside, your eyeballs could freeze. It's true. Our eyeballs are always wet. You know, the tears over our eyeballs just freezes. Boonk. Zunk. Or whatever the freezing sound effect is. Your car won't start. You can't get to work. And what if your job is very important? I know a lot of people like to think their job is important, but really ask yourself, if you can't make it to work, is the world going to be just fine? I don't know what your answer is right now if you're answering that question, but if you're a doctor and you're on your way to a surgery and you put that key in the ignition and it's too damn cold, too damn cold. And you know what I do in the Bay Area sometimes? I wake up in the morning and I say, oh, it's freezing. Even last week, I had to scrape frost off my windshield. Yes, indeed. They're asking people, when you go outside, don't even have conversations. I'm not making this up. Don't breathe deeply. Don't have conversations. Don't be a hero. Don't even try to go to school. So it sounds like, oh, cool. The kids don't have to go to school. Yeah, but what are they doing? You got to stay indoors. And even though I'll be honest, some teachers also enjoy when they call school off because, hey, who doesn't like a break? It kind of screws up the whole schedule. You know, if you planned a test or you have assignments coming in or an essay is due or anything that you plan as a teacher, an unexpected day off can throw a bunch of stuff off. But when you see this, kids can't even go to school right now in the Midwest. People are freezing to death. It's insane. Makes you ask the question, why are you living there? I mean, I realize these are cities in America that have been settled many, many years ago. But don't most of these people think most of the time, gee, I wish I could live in a climate where I didn't have to shovel out my car from the snow each and every day during this brutal winter season? Yeesh. I hope they have cozy socks. The answer to everything. Oh, there's a lot of reasons, actually, why I should not complain anymore. Things are just fine. A little perspective. I was reading this article. A little perspective. And the writer said, ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself these questions and then take a look at your world. Are you in a country where your government is bombing you or conducting a genocide of people of your kind? If the answer is no, today is a success. If you don't walk six miles one way every day to fetch eight gallons of dirty water from a puddle in the ground then today's a success. If your home has not been destroyed by natural disasters with no insurance, it's a success. If you haven't been kidnapped, it's a success. If you are not at risk of being beheaded by a terrorist group, it's a success today. If you're not sleeping on the streets or eating from a dumpster, today is a success. 
This is from the article. If your clothes are stitched, don't have holes in them, it's a success. And if you know that your next meal is a certainty, it's a success. And I know these sound like the bare minimum things, but God damn, some of my complaints are so meaningless. And I looked this up. Why? Why are we wired this way? It's ridiculous. And sadly, these are our evolutionary traits. We didn't choose to be this way. Rick Hansen, the psychologist, he says, our brains are like Velcro when it comes to bad things and Teflon for good things. There was a study that 80% of our thoughts are negative. I know that sounds high. And look, I don't even know how they get a study like that done. I should stop quoting studies. But a new study comes out every day. And when I listen to 90.3 KDFC, Classical Morning, it seems like the morning DJ always has a new study to talk about. The other day he said the average human laughs eight times a day. Uh, But that's off topic. If 80% of our thoughts are negative, there's a reason why. We're not choosing to live that way. There's a reason why if somebody gave you 50 compliments but also gave you one insult, what are you going to remember? Yeah, we know. The insult. Of course. It's one of the reasons I truly don't think I could have had a long, long radio career. I loved radio. But we would get so much feedback every day. You'd get handwritten letters. You'd get emails. Of course, you get the tweets. And a lot of them are very nice. A lot of them say, love your show. Thanks for the entertainment. Really enjoy listening to you. But once in a while, you get, I hope you fucking die. I hate you so much. Your show is awful. And that'll stay with you. At least me. I don't even know if that's having thin skin or just being human. But of course, that's what you take home. The negativity, even if you come home and you ask your wife or you ask your husband, how was your day? Sometimes the first thing that comes to the surface is what went wrong. I'm trying to rearrange that in the old household. Say, how was your day? Tell me a success. That's how you got to ask the question. Because if you just say, how was your day? For some reason, we're inclined to answer that with, well, it was good, but there was this one kid. Well, there's this one person at work. I got this one email. Then you immediately get into whining about something or being proactive and thinking about how to solve it. But this is built in to our brains, a negativity bias. Sometimes I wonder if this podcast sounds like I'm just complaining about a bunch of stuff. I hope not. I hope not. Although I do identify with Larry David quite a bit. And his mind, his show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's just so good. I guess I get annoyed a little more than the average person with the little things in life. I don't get annoyed with the big things, believe it or not. And I don't really get concerned with the big things, but I sweat the small stuff. I get annoyed with the little, little things in life, and that is because I can't help it. Luckily, I researched this a little bit to realize that our brains are like Teflon to the good things, just slips off, and Velcro to the negativity just stays with us. You know, PTSD, ever ask somebody with PTSD. Hey, are you able to just shake it off? Uh, no, not exactly. It's not that easy. Hey, shake it off. You know, those painful experiences. Yeah. Why don't you just shake it off? Well, it turns out they're more memorable than pleasurable ones. Can this be rewired? I don't know. I guess it's how you choose to look at this whole planet. It's a good place. Friendly place. Joyful place. Yeah. Or is it a dark place, a heavy place, a depressing place, a sad place? I think we all know the answer. It's both. It's both. Speaking of it's both, nature versus nurture. What shapes our identities? What do you think? I feel like I already revealed my thoughts. It's both. 
But what are you more inclined to think? Our identities are formed because, hey, we're just born this way. Or it's our experiences. This is the classic psychological question. Well, if you watch the documentary, Three Identical Strangers, they dissect this. And that is an emotional documentary. I just saw it last weekend. And it had a reputation. It was one of those movies that I was late to the party, but I had friends, family tell me, oh, it's for you. Because they know I like thinkers. I like a documentary that really makes you question your own existence and bizarre things, novelty, just, whoa, fuck, this really happened? If you watch this documentary, Three Identical Strangers, the whole time you're going, this happened? Are you kidding me? This actually happened. So spoiler alerts, I'll just announce that, but three brothers, so triplets born from the same mother, all put up for adoption. The Louise Wise Adoption Agency. I believe that's the name of the agency. They didn't know they were triplets. Their entire lives, they didn't know they were triplets. And the families that adopted them, they didn't know that they adopted one of three triplets. So one of the guys, he goes to a community college and there's a bunch of people on that campus and they go, hey, hey, Eddie. And he's like, I'm not Eddie. And they're like, yeah, you are. Hey, Eddie, welcome back. Good to see you. Happy you came back this semester. How you been, Eddie? And he's like, I'm not Eddie. And they're like, look, you're Eddie. We all know Eddie, what he looks like. And you're him and you look like him. And he goes, I'm not actually. And they lead him to meet his twin. He thinks, okay, I'm meeting my twin. Unbelievable. What a small world. Turns out I have a twin. We were both adopted. And then a journalist writes a story about it. And the third brother reads the story. He sees the front page of the newspaper. He goes, I look exactly like these two. Turns out those are his brothers. So he meets them. They have a giant reunion like puppies on the carpet. They just start wrestling. They love each other. They all connect and they look for the commonalities, the similarities. What do we have in common? And I believe this is in the 80s where it becomes a news story. This becomes like a People magazine type of story. They were on Donahue. Oh, look how much they have in common. They all smoke the same cigarettes. As if that was such a stunning coincidence. Marlboro? They all smoke Marlboros. And look, they all wear the hair the same. They had perms. Good looking guys, but they had these ugly perms. And they were all high school wrestlers. And they had the same taste in women. So the media creation was like, look, nature wins. They didn't know each other growing up. They all had different families, different upbringings. Different backgrounds, but my God, they're so alike. And if the documentary ended there, it would have been a weird feel-good story. I guess feel-good story. It's just a wow story up to that point. But then the documentary really takes off, and you realize they were lab rats. A psychologist was doing a study with these kids, sending them to a low-income family, a middle-of-the-road family, and an affluent family. And then sending a psychologist to study their development. How are they progressing? How are they advancing? Are they having the same troubles? And as they were being observed, they never knew why. And finally, as adults, they realized, oh, we've been exploited all in the name of psychology, but the study never revealed the details. The study never revealed the conclusion. So that's what this documentary is about. I'll stop there because I want you to see it. I don't even know who's listening to me right now, but I'm talking to you. I'm talking directly to you. If you have not seen this film, go see it. You'll laugh, you'll cry. I genuinely mean that. I think you'll laugh and cry. And towards the end of the documentary, you realize, oh, they're really nothing alike. I mean, sure, nature is a big deal. 
Yes, they have the same taste in women. Yes, they were high school wrestlers. Yes, they smoke Marlboros. But you realize that they are shaped by their experiences. And they're truly different. And the suffering that ensues is just insane. So when you watch something so real and so rugged, just holy moly, treating humans this way for experiments, you know, no morals, no ethics, and finding all these people to speak on the documentary who were a part of it. And they said, it was a different time. I always hate that excuse. Oh, it was a different time. You know, back then it was okay to abuse a human this way. And I truly mean this is abusive on your psyche. If you're never told that you have two identicals, you're one of three. You're never told that the family you were given was for a psychological study. Shit. But in the end, you got to ask yourself, what if that was you? I mean, it's just almost fascinating to think about having another. So anybody who's a twin, that's got to be weird. If there was another Josh Rosenberg and I would just look at this person. Obviously another first name. I don't think any parents named the twins the same thing. But if there was another person that looked exactly like me, I think I would always think that's weird. Now, of course, twins are the exact opposite. They think it's normal. It's their normal to have another human looking like them. But triplets? Holy shit. Are you fucking kidding? If there were two other Josh Rosenbergs and we were just hanging out, I don't think I would be able to even listen to the content of our conversations. I'd just be staring at us like, what Black Mirror episode am I locked in? What Twilight Zone is this? It would be weird every day for me. I realize that's the perspective of somebody that's not a triplet. But you keep thinking that, especially if it's not your normal, if you don't grow up with these people, but you're just introduced to them later in life. Oh, my God. Sorry. The emotions are coming back to the surface, but that was one hell of a movie. How many thumbs between triplets? Six thumbs up. That's what I'll rank that movie. Six thumbs up. All right. Ponder this, won't you now? Won't you, don't you, won't you now? Stories. You ever hear a story? Kind of like a dark, riveting story. Any story about a region, just an area, and it ends up defining how you feel about an entire area. And most of the time, it is as misleading as it can possibly get. You hear a story about something that happened in a neighborhood, and then every time you drive by that neighborhood, you're like, yep, I'm thinking about it. Could happen to me. Could happen right now. Uh-oh, brace yourself. No, of course not. A beach you go to, if you hear about a shark attack at that beach, you're probably going to think about that shark attack every time you're at the beach. It'll just stay in your mind. Odds are it'll never happen to you. Statistically, of course, it'll never happen to you. But I bring this up because our plumber and electrician, that's right, he's both. And he's our friend. We were introduced to this guy from our real estate agent. And now he's part of the family, folks. And he looks exactly like me. And we were both adopted. And nope, never mind. That's not my story. But our plumber electrician... Our PE, plumber electrician, he was at our house and he comes over for every little thing. Actually, I'm exaggerating, but he's come over quite a bit because if you're a plumber and an electrician, that means, well, anything from a grounded outlet issue to the toilet smells like BO, you call this guy. And then he always tells you, you know, I could do that too. Hey, we got a broken window. Yeah, I could do that. Tree needs trimming. Yeah, I could do that. Everybody needs a guy like this in their life. Just business card has 70 things he could do. The best. But all of that is entirely off topic. So he was working on a smell coming from the sink. We have a lot of mysterious smells in the house. But hey, who doesn't? Oh, really? Not everybody? Just us? Great. 
And he was describing his life, his family, how he got to America. It was fascinating. Really great guy. Friendly, warm, and he's talking about his kids. And he goes, my daughter plays soccer in high school. I go, I'm a high school teacher. And then he's describing where he lives. And I'm like, "Mm, that sounds like a neighborhood close to the high school I work at. And then I said, does she go to my high school? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. Nope, nope. We decided not to send her to that high school. We sent her to a different one because of the story. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. Right as he was about to start mentioning why he was scared to send his daughter to the high school I work at, I started to remember, oh, yeah, my first year teaching there, there was a murder involving one of the students, and it was gang-related. Most of the people involved, not from my high school, but a couple were. And the way the media handles that, the way the newspapers and television news handles that, of course, it makes us look a little different. I'm there every day. I know it's very safe. It's a great place. It's a happy high school. Good people. And I mean like really safe. I'm in my fourth year. I've never even seen a fight at this high school. Maybe that's just because I don't see them. Maybe they happen. I don't know. But it seems like this place is very pleasant. However, the first year I was there, it was an ugly story. And it was not at the high school. It was just close enough. And because it involved a couple of the students, it was clearly associated with the school. And I talked to a lot of people who never heard of the high school. And they go, is it a rough place to work? Is it rugged? Is it scary? Of course not. But to parents about to send their kids to the school, I get it. How a story can define how they see an entire place. Maybe every time they drive by our high school, they think of that story. And of course, that one story is insanely horrific. Just beyond words. Everybody was rattled. You know, everybody was rattled for a few days. And maybe people that were even closer connected to it remain rattled to this day, depending how close you were to the kid, how well you knew him. But reputation is a wild thing. There are plenty of places that could be defined by one story. Even the house we moved into. One block over, there was a murder-suicide a year ago, and I don't even think about it. I don't. It doesn't define the neighborhood, but still, you kind of you kind of think about it. When we were buying the place, I was like, all right, it was just one murder-suicide, right? It was just one, right? We didn't have a few. It's not like a series of murder-suicides. No, 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 no. But I'll even go back to my trip to Israel. Throughout my entire life, I never wanted to visit Israel. Why? Because the media told me it's a place of wars and battles and bombs. And I read newspapers and I watch the news and I consume all of it. And it defines how I feel about certain regions. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. A lot of people would say that's a bad thing. But what would I know about Israel? I do know everybody who's ever been there and come back says it's amazing, but still I resisted for so long. And then at the last age you could possibly be to do this birthright trip. And if you never heard of birthright, it's a free 10 day trip to Israel if you're Jewish. And I went at the oldest age you're allowed. I think I was 26 and I finally went. I remember why I went actually. I was at the mighty 1090 radio station talking about the opportunity about to turn it down once again. I always thought about it. Should I go to Israel in my lifetime? Hmm, should I? Isn't it scary? Aren't there bombs? Isn't there war? Then I was talking to one of the producers there who was half Filipino. And he's like, if they offered me a free 10 day trip to the Philippines, are you fucking kidding? Of course I'm going. And then I talked to another one of the guys in imaging, an Italian guy. He's like, yeah, if they ever offered me a 
10-day free trip to go connect with my heritage, I'm going. And they were very influential. So I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Now, it was the greatest, simply the greatest, just a memorable, remarkable, exceptional experience in every way. And when I was there, zero percentage of me was scared or worried or concerned about anything. It was actually the exact opposite. You feel relaxed. You feel connected. You feel whole and all those magical, mystical feelings they describe. But at no point did I ever feel in danger. Never. And they're educating you too on all of this, on the military. You even have, you know, members of the IDF with you the whole time with guns on their backs and none of it even registers as scary. There's something different about actually being there as opposed to just watching the news or reading the articles. But that is a good example of how a story was defining, or I guess multiple stories, it was defining this country. What an experience would be like just dodging bombs in my head. What the fuck was I actually thinking? And when you get there, you go, I don't ever want to leave. But one impactful story or a couple of impactful stories about an area of the world, a town, a neighborhood, a block, it stays with you. There's a part of your brain that just compartmentalizes this uh, idea of, all right, that's where it all went down. You know, in 1980, they say uh, a lady found a ghost in her closet and she got so scared and they found her hanging by one of her husband's ties in that house right there. And even if you're like, I don't know if that's true, I don't think that's true, and it's a house in your neighborhood, every time you drive by that house, you'll think of that old ghost story. Okay, that's a weird example. I don't know where that came from. But think of your own. Think of your own right now. If your parents ever told you stories about the town they're from, a town bully, I bet you will go to that town one day or picture that town for the rest of your life with that bully wreaking havoc. All right, peep this. What if that was my transition? All right, peep this. Cool guy over here. I don't even know how to transition out of that, but uh, I'm pretty sure I've gone insane. Now, on my day-to-day, I don't feel it. I still feel fairly normal with my daily routine and my interactions with humans, but my sleep is now at an insane level. It's not for normal people what I'm about to tell you. And if my wife needs to leave me, I will understand. I'll get it. I won't hold her back. I'll set her free like a dove. Go on. Go on. Spread those wings. Nah. You don't want to be with this anymore. How aggravating is this? And I'm describing myself right now. We had a queen mattress. I said it's too soft. Let's get a king. My wife agreed. My wife, an angel in this story. An angel or just normal? She agreed. Go to Macy's. Get a bed. I know I've already talked about this, but the story gets uglier. And the story gets crazier. And who's to blame? Yours, truly. Go to Macy's. Get a firm mattress. Didn't know it was too firm. Bought it. Got it. They put it in. Slept on it for two nights. Said, no thanks. Returned it. Went to the showroom. Tested out a plush mattress. Softer. Bought it. Got it. It arrived. Slept on it for one, maybe two nights. Returned it. No thanks. Can't do it. Can't do it. Felt like cotton balls. I need some support. So at that point, I said, I'm not making the Macy's mistake again. We're going to Mancini's Sleep World. 
And when you walk in, they immediately show you the Tempur-Pedics. And my wife knew about Tempur-Pedics. This is memory foam that NASA created. And NASA, holy shit. Like, I really care about outer space when it comes to my sleep. For some reason, telling me it was NASA memory foam is like the most influential, impactful tidbit of information. NASA made this bed? Well, I like outer space. And I certainly like astronauts. So yes, yes, I am interested in this $4,000 bed. Take all my money. Take everything I have. And then put it on the credit card. Sure, I'd like debt. Of course, I'd like to finance that for the rest of my life. This is a king-size Tempur-Pedic. Actually did that. So the Tempur-Pedic arrives. Folks, I've only lived in the house I'm in since November. And this is now bed number five. Queen firm, too soft, Tempur-Pedic. And when I say bed number five, I realize I just jumped the gun. I don't like it at all. And I realized I was in the showroom and it was a good salesman and it was pitching me on the gel and the coils, the hybrid. It's medium, it's soft, it's soft, medium. Some days when it gets hot, it's soft, soft. And some days when it gets cold, it's firm, medium. And everything he's saying is making sense. I didn't know I was so susceptible to a good salesman. I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And I looked at my wife. I was like, we need this. And she's like, I've always known we need this. And we cried. Okay, that part of the story is a lie. But she knew what a Tempur-Pedic was all about. That's the mountaintop of mattresses. At least that's what we are told because it's so expensive. And perhaps price equates with quality. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, bought one. It's been four nights. My back hurts. I hate it. It's like sleeping in clay. And I don't feel good. I don't feel supported. And I also feel worse because now I realize I'm tough to live with. I'm tough to be with. And she'll sleep on anything. My wife could sleep on a stone bench. She could sleep in a bathtub filled with yogurt, I assume. She could sleep in a tree fort. She could sleep on an airplane, I bet. Like the full flight to Israel, I bet she could sleep. She could sleep in a barn. She could sleep on some yarn. She's shiny. But me... I don't remember growing up this way. I don't remember being this way in college, in the dorms, in apartments previously, but I've become this guy. So the Tempur-Pedic probably has to go back. And what am I going to do? What am I going to do? A bed in a box. I already have an example, a twin bed we already got for our office room. Why am I telling you all this? Are you still listening? Are you changing to Joe Rogan yet? No? Um, It's great. It was $100. $100 twin. You just take it out of a box and... Like inflates on its own, and that's the most comfortable bed I've ever been on. So looks like I'm going to go from about a $4 million mattress to a $100 mattress, and maybe I'll smile about that one day. All right, you want to stay updated on that? Nope, never again? Great. Uh, but just know, if we, uh, if we have to have separate rooms, I know this is usually what you hear from like people in their 80s. You know, grandma and grandpa sleep in separate rooms and it's not surprising. But come on, we're in our 30s. We can't do separate rooms yet. You can't do that. By the way, grandma and grandpa, if they're still alive in their 80s, I hope they have their own rooms. I hope they're doing their own thing by then. I don't know why. It just sounds like a good time to express yourself individualistically. Individualistically. Is that a word? Let's all Google. All right. I had a couple other things, but we're ending with this. Muggsy the Beagle is still alive. Uh, About six months ago, I was pretty sure he was going to die. He couldn't even walk. Uh, But by the grace of the canine gods, uh, he can walk. And I give him the glucosamine. I give him the chondroitin. Hey, boys, we'll have another round of chondroitin for the peril. I give him all the meds for the ear infections. And I give him what he needs. I remember recently thinking about how modern medicine has kept humans alive longer. 
Same with dogs. I go to the vet, what, every four months they just give me something else? Two in the morning, give him two at night, put this in his ears, put this in his food, and I keep doing it. And they could give me any price. At this point, I just go, yes, yes, we're going to keep him alive. They could do this for another 10 years. But he turned 13. That means I've been doing this since I was 24. Three walks a day, having my fridge completely robbed every day, having my trash destroyed every day for 13 years? Okay? I know I just went from describing how aggravating I can be to live with, but now I'm just going to compliment myself. 13 years owning a beagle. No, this is not to commemorate the dog. All right, bringing up his birthday, a dog birthday, it's not a big deal, but I've been doing this. All these walks for 13 years? Actually, luckily, I got mommy's daycare. Yeah, I still get to do that. But this is self-gratification right now, patting myself on the back, touting my abilities to own this dog. The world's worst. Do I love him? Mm-hmm. But I will always compete when it comes to who owns the world's worst dog. Nobody out there has the stories I have. I've seen some things a man isn't supposed to see. And we've survived. So his bar mitzvah is scheduled this week. We'll be lifting him on his little dog bed as we dance the horror into the wee hours of the night. Sipping on that Manischewitz. Tough to make that beverage sound cool. Getting busy with the Manischewitz. All right, that'll do it. It's probably a good idea to get on out of here and sneak out of my adult bed into my little twin bed tonight. Get real sneaky. And maybe just Google reviews of all mattresses and read everybody's complaints, which is now how I spend my life. All right, I need a hobby. That'll do it for episode 46. Put a rating up on iTunes if you like this stuff. Ah, won't you? Go ahead and do it. Also, follow me on Twitter at jrosenberg957, and we will commiserate. All right, be happy. Share a success of your day. This episode is now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.